With AMC Plus, the plus doesn't just mean more, it means better. Available through the platforms you're already on, AMC Plus is a premium streaming bundle with the best of AMC, plus the complete collections of Shudder, Sundance Now, and IFC Films Unlimited. Get the latest from The Walking Dead with early access and exclusives. Binge acclaimed series like Mad Men, ad-free, and with new content dropping each week, like Gangs of London, a powerful drama about London's criminal underworld, there's always something fresh to check out. Sign up at amcplus.com, amcplus.com, AMC Plus, only the good stuff. Welcome to Bravo Happy Hour. I'm your host, Megan O'Donnell. Grab yourself a drink and join me while I break down the week in Bravo TV news. Welcome to Bravo Happy Hour. I'm your host, Megan O'Donnell, and today's episode is blessed with the presence of DJ Richie Skye. He is a news and entertainment journalist and pop culture expert who breaks down all the hottest topics on a daily basis on his super successful YouTube channel and Instagram. And back in 2018, you were also a guest star on Bravo's Stripped, which is incredible. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for that intro. I was like, oh, I did all that. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like if I, other people have introed me to things and I'm like, oh my God, like I do kind of have some shit going on. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So yeah, you were on Bravo's Strip. So tell us a little bit about that show and how it kind of came about in your life. Yeah, so um, Strip is basically a show where they, it's a social experiment where they take away all of your possessions for 21 days. So that's your money, your phone, your, your car, everything in your home, they take it all out, right? And so you're pretty much left with nothing, not even your clothes. And the idea is that you get one thing back every day, right? But the, the problem with that is that you have to determine what it is that you're going to get back and one thing doesn't necessarily go with another. Like I could get my pillow back, but I couldn't get my bed back. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of yeah. like that. And um, I don't really know how I found the production team where they found me. I just remember getting a call to do the audition and I was kind of like, mm, I don't know. Cause I don't, there was never a show like that on Bravo, but because I obsess about Bravo, I figured that maybe I just obsessed myself into a, a good thing. So I was like, okay, we went through the audition process, didn't hear anything back for about six months, right? And during that time, I was living in LA and really kind of unhappy, which is a lot of what they caught um, on camera in terms of my interviews and stuff like that, that we did during the show. Um, a lot of that came out. And so by the time they told me that I would be naked the first like episode, I was thinking to myself, oh God, I haven't really worked out because I haven't been feeling my best. And working out was something that was always really important to me. But just living in LA is a strange place, um, especially if you're from the East Coast, I think. And so um, they told me, I think maybe about a week or two before we had to film, the whole process was really, really fast in terms of getting it set up. And I was one of the first people to film. So I was like, okay, <clears throat> that first day, I literally had a mental breakdown. I did everything I said I would not do. I cried. I Because it's so it was so stressful because there's like 20 people involved in this production in my small little apartment in LA. And they're asking you all of these questions as they're moving all of your possessions out of your apartment. And it was just kind of overwhelming. And I stepped outside. I remember saying, I, I need a second. Stepped outside, went to go sit on the curb, like, and I'm thinking to myself, what did I just get into? And the next thing I know, I look up and there's a camera over there and a camera over there. And this is outside on the like the on the sidewalk. And I'm like, 
that was when I had the moment where I was like, okay, there's no way you can get out of this at this point. Like you're stuck in the filming process for the next month. So you have in your mind, I think how you're going to react to things and how you're going to play it and how I was going to be all smooth and stuff like that. Of course. But in that moment, I think I realized you just have to, whatever they get is whatever they get at this point. And I went back inside sort of with that, with that sort of perspective. And then a couple of hours later is when you have to take off all of your clothes. And by that point in time, I was just so tired. I didn't even care. The only thing that I thought in my mind was, do I look fat? Like that was my, literally my only thought (laughs) at that point, because you're just so mentally exhausted from the process, but um, it was a great experience overall. I applaud you for being able to stand naked in front of 20 people in a production company and then having it air, like, for all of the Bravo Network to watch. It's, like, truly my worst nightmare coming true. <laughs> well, you know, the cool thing about it is, I, I, by that point in time, I had had dinner with the production team. You know, I've met with them several times. I honestly can tell you I fell in love with my team. Um and you, we became like family, but it was kind of like the harshest introduction. And I think the executives were there the first, I think they were there that first day. And by the time we got to that, that point of me taking off my clothes, you know, the production team had scaled down a little bit. So there yeah. were maybe like six or seven people in the room at that point. So it didn't feel as exposed, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it was still kind of like, I'm naked. so were you able to work and do your channel and everything in addition or did you kind of have to stop life so at that point you well during the show you have to continue with everything that you had going on so I remember the following day I had I was always going to brunch with my friends and so they were like well don't change your brunch plans and I was like well wait um We have a we have a problem here because I don't. <laughs> what am I gonna wear? Yeah. Luckily, in my mind, I said I have a pair of overalls I can wear because that would at least cover most of my body, right? <laughs> but then the next day I had to go to. But I couldn't even. I was supposed to go to work the next day, but I couldn't go to work because I had drank so much at brunch <laughs> and after brunch, and then I remember. <laughs> They came to the door that that following month, that Monday morning. The cool thing about when I did it was nobody knew this, but it was Halloween weekend. So when I went out and oh, people saw me in my overalls, they thought that I was <laughs> in Halloween costume. So nobody was looking at me crazy. That's something that nobody knew about that. But um, the next day I was supposed to go to work. They got there at like eight in the morning and there were rapid fire questions. And I'm thinking to myself, I haven't eaten. My head is still spinning. I said, this is not going to be good. And I felt myself starting to sweat. And I remember thinking, do not throw up. Do not throw up. Because I don't throw up like that. I'm not a, I'm not a puker when I, when I drink. But because I hadn't had anything to eat, I didn't have any money. I, you know, my friend just literally dropped me off the night before after we finished filming and being out and drinking all day. And I was sleeping on the floor because I didn't have a pillow or a bed or anything like that. So when they come at eight o'clock in the morning and you're like, uh, I don't feel well. <laughs> the next thing I knew, 
I ran into the bathroom because I couldn't hold it anymore. And I just literally puked. And I thought to myself, you didn't close the door. And there they are, <laughs> yet again. I was like, everything that I said I wouldn't do, I did. Well, I think that's like such a good way of looking at reality TV in general. Like so many of these people sign up for these shows, including yourself. And you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to go in. I'm going to be my best version of myself. I'm going to do me. And then it's like life happens and you drink too much. You look rugged after not sleeping on a goddamn bed <laughs> and not wearing clothes. And then you are like, oh, I wonder why or how. Oh, the editing screwed me. It's like, no, girl, you screwed you. But it's normal. Like, I could never be on reality TV for that reason. Like, you'd catch a freak out. You'd catch, like, I would just be caught doing the worst and then be like all the housewives being like, it's the editing. It was not me. That was not me. That was not me. Yeah, I, I think that's the other thing, too. It's like, well, there is, I think... Editing can can play a tricky part in it, right? Because if you're not, I, I think sometimes different shows have different processes when it comes to editing. What I will say that I felt like was really good was I think that they had a perspective of what I was going to be, but the reality was something completely different, right? Because you know, I, while I was like really obsessed with like social media, I think that maybe that was going to be the thought of like me just being like this social media obsessed person. And I think to a certain degree I was, but what I learned in that process from not having my phone, you know, um, was that I can live so much easier without it. I did miss out on gigs and stuff like that with, when I was, cause I was DJing a lot more at that time. But overall, I mean, I definitely think that it changed me as a person to be quite honest with you. In a positive way though. In a positive way, I mean, I, um, I will say that despite all of my throwing up, my, my tantrums, um, you know, all those little things, when I watched the show back, I felt like, <clears throat> I always talk about the villain edit and the hero edit. I felt like I got the hero edit, but I feel like it's only because I gave them me. I, I gave everything that I had. And from there, you can only do what I give you know what I mean? You can only paint a picture that I give you, you know? And looking back on it, I was like, wow. I mean, it was really emotional to watch it because I was like, they painted a beautiful picture and I, I won't ever forget that. Oh, well, that's great to hear that because so many people have yeah. so many horror stories from going on these shows and especially a show that hasn't had, like being the first season of a show is always kind of you know, nerve wracking because it's not like you can just go back and watch past seasons and be like, oh, this is what this person did. And this is a good tip or this is a good tip where I think now like you see on Survivor and The Bachelor, all these shows, everyone kind of goes in with their own little game plan. And I think having that game yeah. plan actually is a disservice to a person as a character it on is. the show because, yeah, you come in with these mm -hmm. errors. You're like, oh, you know, I'm usually like this, but I'm going to be like this just to make it, you know, to make myself look better, to make myself seem smarter, cooler, richer, funnier, whatever you are. When it's like, no, you coming in front of the camera and just like doing you is the best, the best option. And, and I think the editors and producers probably see that like, wow, he's genuine. Wow. He's doing this and actually learning from it. Like you said about social media, which is such a weird blessing and a curse. Like as much as social yeah. media can give you jobs and can give you access to people and, you know, people to listen to your show and watch your show and do all of these things. It's also like, you know, a time pit and like can also like make you feel really like, <laughs> 
insecure or less than like I deleted my personal Instagram off my phone in like February because it was yeah. like Valentine's Day. I saw all of these like happy couples and all of these things. And I just was like, why am I sitting in my room like upset and like insecure over like these nobodies from my high school who are happy? <laughs> like, why am I getting bent out of shape about this? So I deleted it and now I'm like, oh my God, this is what freedom feels like. I'm not <laughs> bogged down with these weirdos. And I don't, I don't know. It's social media is a blessing and a curse, truly. But then, yeah, on the other side, it's like my show has all of these great listeners and people who follow and reach mm -hmm. out and say all these great, nice things. And I'm like, well, this is the awesome community that social networking, I think, is. it's the point of social media. But then there's like the other side mm -hmm. where it's like, look how much money I have. Look at this trip. Look at this. Look at this. It's like, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I, I almost felt like after doing that show, my Instagram became more of my business um i kind of was leaning in that direction anyway because i really use it use it a lot when i was djing to sort of make it become my resume and so from there and i feel like sometimes i feel bad because i don't post a lot of personal stuff on there i'll post like fun something fun every once in a while but for the most part i really kind of post a history of what i've done in terms of like you know if i have a gig or if i have an interview or you know something special that kind of pops up and then it's also been a blessing because I kind of meet more people like you who I feel like, okay, we have shared interests. We, we like the same things. And so that to me is much more important, making those connections now than I think the comparison syndrome. It still happens at times, but what I've learned to do is anybody that I feel like I have that triggers me, I mute them. <laughs> same. This past week, I kind of went on a muting spree. I was like, she's annoying. He's annoying. I'm going to keep the follow because I don't want to be rude exactly. like, <laughs> because I'm still a petty bitch at the end of the day. <laughs> but like that mute button is like, the lifesaver. So much. Thank you so much. And, and you know what? Like I will peruse your account on my own time when I am ready. Like I don't need, exactly. I don't need the bombarding. Um, and it's also Instagram has a tricky little bitchy way of knowing exactly who you don't want to see, and then their picture is always the first one on stories. It's like y'all just yep. know how to get under my skin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I recently saw that you spoke to Paul Wharton from the Raw Housewives of DC on your Instagram, and he is amazing. I just did. Well, I found you on Instagram because I saw. I don't know where we were posting, but because DC was playing again this past Friday on Bravo, I just did a six part DC recap, which at the end of the day, I think my recap was longer than all 11 episodes of, this, of the entire season, which is so mortifying. It took me months to do, but it was such a joy. And the show itself, I think is, is so underrated. And it's fun, like this past weekend, I feel like a lot of people got back into it, which was really great. And so you yeah. spoke with Paul, who was like an integral part of the cast, basically like the, what, sixth mm -hmm. housewife, basically? It, pretty much. I mean, I think it was, he, I, I remember watching the show way back when it came on and I thought to myself, I was like, and I, and I told him this and it was so funny because when I interviewed him, I honestly had no idea what he had done before Housewives. I was just like, I who is the socialite that they have on the show? I was like, I like him. He's, he's, he's fun and he's interesting. And I remember the crazy thing about it is my best friend Riley from DC, she is a Beyonce impersonator, but she is pretty popular in DC. Yeah, crazy, Imagine right? like being that 
fucking attractive and talented <laughs> where you're like it's my it's my job to be beyonce like god listen <laughs> and so cool. <laughs> he was also friends with paul didn't i didn't even realize it that they were actually like good friends so i'm i don't typically when i'm when i'm planning something i don't tell anybody i just kind of do it and then i put it out and then they'll just see it if they see it um i learned a long time ago and this is probably bad to admit this but i don't have the expectation that my friends are going to be my biggest supporters i kind of agree with that like they support me as a whole yeah but the individual things i do they're like girl i don't give a fuck about bravo like exactly <laughs> you know so they'll subscribe I don't... to my page <laughs> right right subscribe be there but <laughs> yeah. i don't expect you to have the same watch as somebody who may be as obsessed as I am about something. Luckily, she's obsessed with Bravo and stuff like that as I am. So um, so she was like, I didn't know you were interviewing Paul. And she sends me all this fo these photos of the two of them. And I'm like, and as I'm listening to his story, I'm like, oh my God, you did so much prior to Housewives. This was really kind of a interesting little blip on his radar of all of his accomplishments, but it was a really big one in terms of the impact that I think that it had. And I'm, I'm still shocked to me that they, I think if this had happened now, they would have gotten a second season. Totally. Cause I think like scandal is looked at a little bit differently now than it was Absolutely. 10 years ago. Like Mikhail and Tarek crashing the white house state dinner now would be a gold mine for Bravo and they would be dying for something as insane and unbelievable as what exactly. that night was. Whereas back mm -hmm. then they were like, we're still kind of a new franchise. And you know, this is a lot, <laughs> this is a lot that you got, this is really bad. And I think Bravo was then kind of, uh, like the government implied that Bravo actually had something to do with it and that they kind of put the Salahis up to it. We're towards the end of like the episode where the Salahis are like getting ready at the salon and the producer is like, where's the invite? where is the invite and she's like i don't know <laughs> it's in the car but it's like and then well, there was know, never an invite so <laughs> and you know there was some foreshadowing there as well because i think we learned i forget the, the episode number where they were headed to um the salahi's winery where we find out that they had actually snuck into the congressional black caucus dinner so I think to me, that was a little bit of foreshadowing as to how these people are getting into these events and the sneaky ways that they were doing it, you know? And I don't think we even kind of realized at the time as it was playing out, like, oh, this is the pattern. Well, that's kind of the ridiculous thing about it where they kept saying like, we would never do this. We would never do this. And it's like, well, one, there's no smoke without fire. And two, why would Jason and I can't remember what his husband's name was. Oh, Paul. No. I, no, I, it was what? Ted and Jason. Ted and Jason. Why would Ted and Jason make this up? And then shockingly enough, four months later, you do the exact same thing and the exact same thing happens again. And they were like, it is not our fault. It's the government's fault. It's the U.S. government. <laughs> like, it just, <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. And I saw uh, Mikhail who's kind of quiet on social media. She posted something like, dear Bravo friends, thank you so much for the outpour of love and support after Bravo re-aired DC Housewives. I, you know, I'm so glad 
that that part of my life is over, but, but thank you. Thank you for all the support. I'm like, do you think? You know what? So I was watching all the stuff that Mary Amons was doing and she kind of, I think it was a, she was doing something with Paul, like a live. And she mentioned that she had reached out to Mikhail, but you know, had really gotten no response about it. So I didn't, and I didn't know she was on social media. So I was like, you know, maybe she just has like wanted to just fade into obscurity after that whole situation whereas again i think if it happened now it would be a completely different story <laughs> they'd be like like you know teresa did you say like i feel like is a good example of someone who has made like scandal into dollar bills exactly. <laughs> you know like exactly. michael like, would have had a cookbook you know, by now if she was smart it was like it's like where are the books you know what i'm saying where the, the tell-all you know behind the scenes to sort of you know maybe even exonerate her or create a sort of like, you know, almost victim. I don't want to call her a victim, but it almost sounds like she was swept away in the situation. That's how I always saw it. Like he just manipulated and played her mm -hmm. like a fiddle because I think he realized how frankly easy it was. And it's unfortunate because you know she trusted him. And as much as like we can make fun of Mikhail all we want, like you could tell she just like gave herself fully to this man who just hoodwinked mm -hmm. her left and right. And then as much as I kind of think like, oh, she was complicit in knowing that she wasn't invited to these things, but I really don't think she was. I think he just was like, we're invited and we're going, get on your sorry and we're going to the party. And I think she just was like, okay. And there was no, you know, she didn't even question once that this would be the case. Granted, like, her right. and Tarek are getting, like, rushed out of all of these events. Like, when the Secret Service is asking you to leave multiple parties, you might want to start taking note that maybe you're not supposed to be there. Maybe. <laughs> that, and that's why I feel like it's, there was a redemption story there. There was a season two. Because to sort of see how all of these things played out in the next several months and years, I think that would have been fascinating to see. Unfortunately, we didn't get that. Yeah, I think I was listening on some podcast that I think Mary was on and she was talking about how like when this was happening, it was also during the deal where I think Comcast was buying NBC. And so it became an even bigger problem because Bravo is under NBC. And oh, so wow. NBC was like, we have this major lawsuit with the government about like a very serious like government breach. <laughs> and we happen to have like a thousand million hours of footage. And so I think it made even more of a liability for like this big merger. And they were like, okay, scrap season two. We cannot even <laughs> like engage in this because this is, could just be a lot more work and mess than it's actually worth. Dang it. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm such a sucker for like a good one season wonder. And all the ladies and Paul and everybody was so, were so excited this past week that the show is airing again. And it, they were on Instagram live at all hours. I was like, Linda, have you been Instagram living for 14 straight hours? Because <laughs> you look tired. Like you look tired. At one point I saw her FaceTiming or Instagram living with Kat and they both were just silent. I was like, they've said everything that they could ever say. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my goodness. I was always interested in what became a cat's life. You know, because she was, I felt like afterwards, 
I all I felt like I'd heard that there was some talk, and maybe I'm remembering incorrectly of her moving to another franchise. I thought I remember hearing her talking about possibly going to New York um, at that time because she was still being invited to watch what happens live and she was still doing commentary on some of the other shows. So I felt like there was something there with her personality because, you know, she was a pretty polarizing person. And to be quite honest with you, I feel like she would have kind of not really fit, but I feel like sometimes she would have been, I feel like she would have been the Sutton Strack of New York at that time, if that makes any sense. Well, she has this like British air about her, which like, it's the Lisa Vanderpump effect. Anyone with a British accent and a little bit of sass just automatically takes over the screen and you're like, oh my God, look at this person. She's, yeah, completely polarizing, has no qualms about saying anything and then will say the most fucked up racist shit. And she's like, British humor, honey. (laughs) Maybe if you understood British humor, you'd kind of get it. (laughs) And then like, here I am being like, you're right. It is British. And I'm like, (laughs) but that's like kind of like a perfect manipulative person on one of these shows who kind of grabs your attention. And and it was interesting with Kat on the show because she wasn't friends with anyone. She had just moved there where the other women kind of knew each other. And I think, you remember Erica? She was the friend of Stacy and Mary. Stacy, yeah. yeah. She had like the beef with Kat. And I always think the beef really just stemmed from Erica being like, I've known these ladies for 10 years. I've lived in DC forever. Kat comes in with a British accent and a husband with a good job with the White House and gets like a center stage role yeah. on the show and, you know, kind of yeah. swoops on it. It, it was... It was kind of weird. And I remember um, one other thing that Mary kind of confided, I guess, in she really confided in Paul during their live, but she said something about how her, Kat, and Linda went into the season promising each other that they would not talk bad about each other. And Paul says he warned them against that. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't make for a good show. (laughs) Not on Housewives. No. Well, that was another thing. Like, all of the women were, like, respectful, like, not getting wasted drunk. Like, at least New York housewives, you know, the second someone starts pouring wine, it's like, <laughs> like, Dorinda's slurring. That's it's the end of it. Over. <laughs> and so you kind of know something's going to happen, or even like, in New York cash trip or just a dinner with everybody like you know there's going to be an explosion whereas on DC like they were mm-hmm. all kind of civil they didn't really shade one another and then once the McHale stuff started happening then it was just like gang mentality against her yeah which them against her which love love to see it but also like I want more stuff going on between the other ladies too which kind of like I feel like the the group they can't just be one person being ganged up on. It kind of got a little no, towards the end. Especially yeah. if that person is not a fighter and then they're not coming into contact with each other because they were banning her from coming to their events and stuff like that. And I was like, this doesn't make for a good show. No, but even from like episode one, Linda was like, Mikhail's a joke. So is Tarek. They haven't paid me for my services and never forget. <laughs> and from that moment, you could kind of see, like she was like, I'm not playing into this. Her name is Michaela. Like, Let's also (laughs) make that very clear. So I think kind of from the beginning, they all were against Mikhail. 
And I think yeah. when I was listening to something, I don't even know where I get my information from at this point. My brain is just one big, like, melting pot. But I was listening to something and it was saying that Linda didn't know that Mikhail was going to be on the show until she showed up at, I can't remember what the event was, that they all kind of, like, met up at the beginning. And then once she saw Mikhail, she was like, oh, fuck. I already signed my paperwork. This one she's bad news bears like you know she could tell from a mile away that this was gonna be a season about her but we but we needed linda to play the game so and linda was good she was always kind of throwing little digs out there and she had no problem being vocal about a lot of different things and mm-hmm. what was interesting about the show is that they talked about a lot of things that I don't really know if we would necessarily talk about on shows now or like this was in t- 2010 and they were talking with like the Senator or whomever, like about gay rights and sitting in a room and Paul Wharton was there and it was such a great mouthpiece for the LGBTQ, the LGBTQ community yeah. and talking with Mary, who's like, honestly, this has never really been an issue for me. And so it's not really something I care about. And Paul is like, I am one of your closest friends. How could you say me not having basic human rights is not an issue for you? And even Stacy, okay, honestly, when Stacy and Jason, that was like the nail in the coffin. I was like, first, Jason, your half-baked business idea of like measuring dick size was a very confusing (laughs) side hustle. So that was already traumatizing. And then when they were both like, why can't we say our conservative views about homosexuality? It's like, um, because that's called being a homophobe. Sorry. Surprise, guys. Exactly. It's like, are you serious? You're on television right now. Oh, and your friend who was a cast member on the show just happens to be gay. It's like, where is the sensitivity and all that? And I just, it, but you know what? The, I think that they were calling the show at first inside Washington. So it wasn't even supposed to be a housewife show. And I feel like that's where they sometimes get these shows wrong. It's like, I don't think at all times you can just turn something into a housewife show. Like that just doesn't always work. And I think that's one of those examples of like, you really have to have a set idea in your head. We want housewives. That's what this is going to be. And, and keep it moving. Like, I understand the need to have a variety of shows, but, you know, now we know what works. Housewives works, Below Deck works, you know, um, the Southern Charms kind of work. I think it's, that's a difficult one to mimic, I think. Yeah. Um, just because I feel like it's so specific. Um, so I feel like you almost can't redo that one. Um, the Married to Medicine works somewhat when you have... <laughs> You know what I mean? You just have to, I think you have to have in your mind what I want in a show and then you go with that. And then I think that also allows for the people on the show to kind of craft their behavior accordingly. Like a show inside Washington, these women think they're, you know, the who's who going to the senator's thing and these Washingtonian events and these, it's just a different vibe. Whereas yeah, housewives, they like go to a vineyard Mm -hmm. and just like get drunk and have fun. You know, and so it's just a little bit different. It's more like focused on the women and their businesses and their families. When, if it's not built mm-hmm. that way, how are they supposed to kind of act that way? And I think that happened with the Real Housewives of Dallas too. It was supposed to be like a show about yep. charity women. And so the first season of Dallas was awesome, but it was all charity, charity, what? charity, charity. It's like, do you guys have any money to give to these charities? Like, what, what do you do? Yep. Do you even care about these charities? 
you're just going to events at this rate. <laughs> but, but then we as the viewer are stuck like, well, why is this so centered around the charity world? It's like, what are we watching here? Like, you know, and then it's, oh, it's dressed up as housewives though. Like what? It doesn't make sense. Totally. Well, I was watching one of your YouTube videos last night, which I can't believe you get so many views in such a short period of time. That was amazing. <laughs> amazing accolade. <laughs> I was like, this came out four hours ago. I'm shook <laughs> with my like 15 subscribers. <laughs> I'm telling you it grows like wildfire. <laughs> Open. You guys like, rate, subscribe, review, all of the things. <laughs> So you were talking about Married to Medicine's Quad Webb, who was on an Instagram live with someone, I couldn't catch the other woman's name, and she said she and her mom are now having a baby, and the baby has been born, she's eight pounds, her name is Ariana, and she's coming home with quad soon. Random, right? Random. So also, this is nowhere on the internet. You were the first person, and like I scour the deepest, darkest holes of this goddamn internet to find these weird ass stories but this was the first time i heard of it and i was like thank god he's coming on <laughs> you know so i just randomly found it on one of the my favorite blogs it's married to medicine bravo and i had seen it one other place and i was like what I, in my mind i was like maybe she's talking about a dog because <laughs> you know i know she loves dogs i know she had the dog clothing business or something like that and I was Very like maybe and maybe because you know the word on the street was that she had been either demoted or fired right so I thought well well what an interesting storyline to sort of tease to maybe gain some interest in her life post you know whatever we're in right now and maybe there would be some renewed interest now I, I just happen to think like that because I know that some people, when they go into these shows, are very strategic. And listen, if I'm trying to get my job back, I might just have a baby too. But <laughs> apparently, apparently, from what I'm gathering is little bits of information. And people are talking about there was a brother of hers that may have went to jail or something like that. I, I'm not really clear on, you know, the specifics. And I'm still trying to get the, the details about it. But it could be a family member's child that they are taking that she's taking in and in that case that would mean that she would indeed have a baby yeah that would make sense because the way she was describing it she said like her and her mother are going to be like co-raising this baby with one another and quad is also someone who like lives out loud and i feel like really documents everything that's kind of going on in her life and i feel like if she had been going through either like a surrogacy process or an adoption process that it might have been something she would be open about or at least like planted right. seeds in past seasons of that being something she's interested in. So I'm definitely thinking it has to do with someone either like close to her or mm -hmm. I don't know, it was weird. But I kept seeing comments on your video of people saying like, how dare she have a baby after Dr. Greg wanted a baby with her for all those years. I'm like, his trifling ass did not deserve one of her beautiful babies. Her firstborn should not be with him. I'm sorry. And so I'm like, how the fuck do, do people come out here and say that? Like, it is ridiculous. Listen, I have learned that just on YouTube, just beware. The comments can be very intense, okay? Like... And people may have the wildest views. 
and people will have the craziest perspective of my views. I can say sometimes that I think the sky is blue. Well, you don't like Kenya because you just said the sky is blue. And it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so, you know, it doesn't surprise me that people were going in about that because they will find, and you know, whatever it is, that it's something that someone remembers about a situation and they will hang on to that and they will remember it. And they're like, well, you know, back in episode 23 of season four, she didn't want to chop, you know what I mean? And, and sometimes I'm like, you're right. She said that in episode 23 of season four. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, the critics. Gotta love them. But I'm happy for her and I'm excited to hear more of what comes from this. I wonder what this will actually turn into. I would love to talk. I would love to chat with her. I would love to chat with her and I would love to chat with Dr. Heavenly because I just think she's hilarious. Dr. Heavenly gives no fucks. Like Zero. I'm also team daddy. Like I, she <laughs> has turned me into like really being like oddly sexually attracted to him. I don't know. I don't know where, what has happened to me during the quarantine, but now I'm team daddy. <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> There's something about him. <laughs> well, moving on to news happening in Atlanta right now, Kenny Burris, the queen of all queens, recently won The Masked Singer this past week, and she was the first woman to do so. Do you watch that show? So the crazy thing about it is, no, I don't watch it. Same. But <laughs> but I do happen to catch some of the performances on YouTube, right? So randomly, they will just pop up, and I started to kind of become interested because I was like, why do I feel like that's candy? Let me watch a couple more performances. And so I like the idea of the show because I feel like it, I don't know. She said something to the effect of how it really gave her renewed confidence in her voice because a lot of times people seem to be critical of her voice, which I don't get. I feel like it's, it's, it's perfectly fine. But um, I was thinking to myself, you would have to be deaf, mute, <laughs> blind, to not know that this was her. <laughs> I was like, it's obvious. Who else could this be? I, I could not even watch it, frankly. Like, I don't like any of those shows. I'm like the worst, like, masked singer, any sort of singing competition show. I'm like, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> Honestly, if it's not on Bravo, chances are I'm probably not watching it. I know. It's really hard to, like, explain that to people. Like, I used to care about like watching movies and watching TV shows to like seem like I gave a fuck. And then when I really started leaning into this podcast, I was like, I am living my truth. I only watch Bravo. <laughs> like, yep. period. And I'm sorry. And you know, sometimes I'll get into like a TLC moment or like if I'm really going like down in the dumps, like MTV, I'm like, <laughs> Why am I streaming Floribama Shore? Like, what's happening? But they're like, I can't even pretend to watch like any show. For many of us, the holidays will look different this year. Family and friend reunions might not be the same, but that shouldn't stop us from feeling close. That's why I'm gifting my loved ones the most meaningful gift this year, a chance to tell their story and share memories using StoryWorth. 
StoryWorth is an online service that helps your loved ones share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. It's a fun new way to engage with family, especially those you can't see in person this year. Around this time last year, I lost my grandfather and I felt this insane guilt that I didn't ask him enough questions about his love story with my grandma, his career, his immigration journey from Italy in the 1960s, and so much more. To honor his birthday this past year, I gifted my grandma a StoryWorth membership. Every week, StoryWorth emails her a different prompt with questions you'd never think to ask, like if you were to do it over, what would you have done differently? Or when was your first kiss? You can customize your prompts to ask anything you'd like, so I obviously had to ask, who's your favorite grandkid? Just kidding. After one year, StoryWorth will compile all your stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that ships for free. I'm planning to order one for myself, my brothers, and my cousins so we can share our grandparents' story with our children someday. Give your loved ones the gift of spending time together wherever you live with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com slash bravohh. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash bravohh for $10 off. If you are anything like me, you haven't bought a single gift for anybody this year, maybe other than yourself. (laughs) This will be an amazing gift for anybody who is looking for that last minute gift that doesn't involve shipping costs and will be something that you can pass down to your families for generations. That's storyworth.com slash bravohh for $10 off off you guys and you get a deal look at that so some of the other ones that i've been watching randomly because since you kind of mentioned similar type shows are like those shows on netflix like the circle okay i watched that. to handle um i haven't watched yeah that i've been watching That's like my next those. one but like i don't know i feel like those shows are like a little bit too real right now where it's like no i physically can't be near men and I'm trying to date and be a normal person, but now, like, I, like, by government law, like, I can't, so it's, like, I don't need to, like, be seeing my reality happening on screen. <laughs> you know what? That makes sense. That's that. I, total sense. <laughs> well, so many, like, I don't know. I, like, went on an app the other day because I was, like, so bored and looking for attention, and this guy was, like, let's FaceTime, and I was, like, okay. And then I had to FaceTime with a fucking stranger. And then he was so weird. I immediately unmatched. And then I blocked his phone number. And I was like, I don't like life. I'm going to just, I'm just going to do, I'm going to go back to watching TV and smoking pot. Like, like I need to forget, please. Go the safe route. <laughs> go with what you know. You're supposed to exactly. stay with routines in quarantine. <laughs> Oh my god. Well, being the mask singer is just another amazing accolade for Candy Burris. And obviously that bothers Nini Leaks to heaven and back. So recently she was saying Candy just wants to be number one. You know, she's never been number one in anything she's ever done. So that was the first quote, which is the biggest joke I've ever heard, considering I believe Candy's kind of number one at everything she does including being the highest paid housewife on the highest viewed show on the network. Sorry, Nini. She took that throne from you. You know, it's so funny how that calling, Nini calling Candy Miss Unforgettable by accident. Then talking about how, right, then talking about how Candy would never be, would always be number two at everything she did. All of those things happening at the same time as Candy winning the Mass Singer, it was just like, <laughs> oh no, 
Nini's not having the best moment right now when it comes to candy. So I just kind of feel like this is a fight you don't want to have at the moment. You know what I mean? Maybe back off a little bit from her. Yeah, I think. And I love Nini. I'm like back and forth with Nini. I think this season was difficult for her. She didn't get those first three episodes in the season. And I think she really felt slighted because of that. And like you were saying on your show, she's allegedly Kenya alleged that Nini is hiring Lisa Bloom, <laughs> like the lawyer of all lawyers to support her case towards Bravo about how she was, you know, unnecessarily taken out of episodes and treated poorly and treated unfairly in regards to this latest season. But I think Nini's in a place where she's seeing that all of the other ladies have kind of figured out new roles in their lives, whether it's, Kenya and Portia, who are new moms. Candy, who is pivoting into acting, which is, let's not forget, what Nini's always wanted and lost that bag when Mm -hmm. Ryan Murphy stopped hiring her. And, you know, we have Cynthia, who's like happily, blissfully chilled, you know, so she has her own little life. And I think Nini's the one who's kind of stuck a little bit. And whether it's like her boutique, which I kind of think she just opened to maybe get a spinoff. You know, all of these things, you know, this song that she made, it's like, okay, like, you know, I think, I think she's kind of like really trying to figure out what her thing is and none of them are really sticking. And I think kind of getting to her. Yeah, I do think that she's going to try, have to try to figure out a what's next plan, you know, um, because it just felt like she's in a sort of dangerous place with Housewives. And I don't mean dangerous, like, you know, for her life, but I just mean dangerous in the sense of, I think when you start kind of going at executives and you start calling out the network and stuff like that, it's just never a good idea. You know, um, that's where your paychecks come from. You know what I mean? And I'm so, I just feel like sometimes you have to leave your issues with production off camera. You have to leave those issues out, out of social media the same way with any job. I'm not going to badmouth my employer on social media because in the real world, we would be fired. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. that simple. That's what, I mean, I would never say a bad word about YouTube. YouTube is not technically my employer, but it provides me the opportunity to do what I do and it pays. So praise be to, praise Lilith. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just feel like you just never do that. Yeah. And it's, it's just biting the hand that feeds you. Bravo gave her this platform and she'd kind of be nothing without it. Not nothing, but she wouldn't be the star that she is today without it. So to now kind of be going against Bravo saying like, you guys screwed me, you screwed me. Like, no, they didn't. You know, the end of the previous season, you were attacking the crew and attacking a pregnant woman potentially. Like, it, you're uncertain. There's a, it's a liability there. And you have to be... Mm-hmm. You have to take you have to take accountability for your actions sometimes, and I don't think she sees that. And whereas Kenya like took a season back, stepped away from the situation, came back guns blazing. Even that I think kind of annoyed Candy. I mean, I think that even annoyed Nini too, where it was like, oh, now you could just come back and own the show again. This is my show. It's like, well, no, it's an ensemble cast, and seeing how Vicky and Tamara were booted should probably be like a, a you know, telling, a warning, a warning exactly that it's like you can, you're disposable. And, 
and viewers forget. Yep. Like as a New York housewife, like fanatic, like had not having Bethany on this season hasn't come up once in my head because the show is so strong without her. I'm like, love Bethany, but the show doesn't need her. And I think that's the reality for all of these shows. Mm-hmm. Sorry, me. You're right. Well, <laughs> this is Phaedra Parks, another Atlanta uh, icon. Decided this week, well, actually, I should back up a little bit. So a couple episodes ago, we were talking about how Cynthia Bailey might not be coming back for season 14 because she might be moving to Los Angeles. And then rumors were flying around that Phaedra might be coming back to take her place. However, Phaedra is now going on marriage boot camp hip hop edition with her new boyfriend. So I don't know if she's going to be making her debut back onto Bravo anytime soon. <laughs> marriage boot camp and not married. That's again, one of my favorite reality show concert <laughs> at least she's not going on with her mother because a lot of <laughs> have done marriage with their parents and it's like what freudian fucked up world is this that we are living in <laughs> i don't want to see that i don't want to see you on the on, on a show with your parents fighting unless it's candy and mama joyce and todd but yeah. otherwise <laughs> i just feel like i feel like this relationship that phaedra's in is just screams to me made for tv only and i just i don't get it and i feel like this is something i hate is when i'm being fed or i'm force fed some type of scripted like you know i hate a housewife that produces herself i hate a show that that i know this is not real yeah. And that's how I feel about marriage boot camp. Now I'm still gonna cover it, but <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just hate it. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think especially like some of these shows that the point of it is like reconciliation with your partner or your family member. You cannot reconcile anything on reality television. Like that should be first and foremost. Anytime a doctor comes in. One, I need to check their credentials. And it's not like a Dr. Phil situation where it's just like a guy calling himself a doctor. But what, are you, what do you really think you're going to get out of it? They get a paycheck, which is great. And for Phaedra, uh, who cares about her new boyfriend? Get Apollo on here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, now, to me, that, even if they, it came from the perspective of, you know, Phaedra and then Apollo and his new, I don't know if it's her, his fiance or whatever, learning how to co-parent and coexist, you know, I feel like that would have been much more interesting and real, but I don't think that she's that interested in giving us real, and plus we have no connection to this guy that she's with. We haven't seen him. We, we haven't had enough history with them to really care what they're going through. Well, yeah, exactly. Like who, what is his name? Adina? Adina, I Islam, I think that's his name. Yeah. Medina Islam, a rapper turned actor known as Quincy on Tyler Perry's The Haves and the Have Nots and a ghostwriter for popular musicians. Don't care. Don't care. Again, unless you're Same. Apollo, I don't care. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know if I can even bring myself to watch that. Like, I have a threshold. Like, I've got to create some boundaries with what I will and will not watch that Bravo people are associated with. But I don't know if this one will do, make the cut. <laughs> 
the reason I'm going to try to watch it mostly is because of Phaedra, to be quite honest with you, because people still love her. Um, a lot of people who watch my channel love her. So I want to at least try to keep up with what's going on with it for that. But other than that, what I watch, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Phaedra would ever be asked back on Atlanta? Yes. I do. I do. I think that she would be asked back. I think they would probably bring her, probably want to bring her in as a friend role first to, to test the waters and see what happens. But um, I think she would probably only want to go back if the check was worthwhile. Which is understandable. And I think it's unfair. Like some shows, I feel like Caroline Manzo had that similar situation for Jersey where she was like, you pay me a million dollars and I'll come back. And Bravo's like, a million dollars or we can just throw in like one of Teresa's cousins or like we could throw in another random for a hundred grand a year and see if that one I'll tell you what though I would I think that Jersey may need Carolyn Hmm. and and the only reason I say that is because you know they don't they lost Danielle this season R.I.P. And I just feel like Carolyn could, would be a perfect, not really polarizing figure, but I feel like she, that show needs someone who is not afraid of Teresa. Yeah. That's definitely something I think the show needs because after, you know, she got out of prison and then Joe got out of prison and then the mom died and then now the dad's dead. Like, I feel like everyone kind of walks on eggshells around her and mm-hmm. you know sometimes for good reason and I think you know how many times can you badger the woman about like her husband putting her in jail like how many times can this poor lady kind of yeah. deal with the same conversations from her friends but all of that aside it, this is still a reality show and for everybody to be so scared of Teresa and for Teresa to also feel that power I don't really think it does the show any mm-hmm. favors where you know she knows it like doesn't. if she doesn't talk to you you're as good as off the show whereas caroline yeah. is that person in a lot of ways too where she commands respect and people are terrified of her i am terrified of caroline <laughs> <laughs> and that's why i feel like they need her totally. on that show uh, i want jersey to come back like Now it's such, I mean, don't get me wrong. We've got a great season of Beverly Hills. We've got a great season of New York. Vanderpump Rules is wrapping up. Potomac is coming. Summer 2020, which again is the rudest announcement date. Give us a date. Give us a time. Come on. That frustrated me so much because I was like, how are you not going to even give us a date for when it's going to come back? I just, I didn't really understand that. But I'm low-key excited about Salt Lake City. Me too. Well, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I think they might push that one further up in the release date because they said it was going to come out at the end of 2020, but they're not filming anything right now. So all of the shows that would be airing in the summertime aren't filming. And if they are, they're doing like weird pickups and production schedules are just going to be really pushed back. And so I'm hoping they're like, let's take that out of the vault, really put a lot of TLC in it Mm -hmm. and, and give people fresh content where it's not going to be running with the New York housewives. Like, cause it's sometimes hard. Like even for me, like I have to watch 300 fucking shows a week. 
but I have my priorities. Like I go to the, I go to the same few ones first. And so for Salt Lake City to have a good kind of airtime with maybe like Dallas running and Potomac running, like not one of the big, big, big wigs, I think it would have a real chance of getting a good following and getting people who are just sitting at home desperate for new content to be like, wow, Salt Lake City, I'm actually going to give this one a fair shot. Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited about it. I just, I feel like from what I'm seeing and hearing, I feel like it's going to be a really good season. I haven't really like read that much about it. I mean, like what are people saying? <clears throat> so I've just kind of, there's a Instagram account. I think it's housewives of um, SLC oh, and I I they really, yeah they really do a good job of like sort of letting us know who's on the cast, you know, what they do, what they've been up to. So I feel like I'm kind of already getting to know these ladies a lot. So I just, I'm interested to see how the show comes together. I'm just excited for new people, new areas, new place to learn about. Like a lot of times these shows really do kind of open up your eyes to new areas, especially like Potomac for me. Like mm -hmm. I had no idea where Potomac was. And now it's interesting. Like I have lots of friends who like went to college in Maryland or, you know, are in like the DC area and Potomac is like a real big place. And I'm like, wow, I was like living under a rock in New York my whole life. You'd have no idea. Well, I used to live in D.C., so I didn't even know where Potomac was at that point until I went I went back maybe, um, I think we, I went in December, I think, to visit my, to visit Riley. And Riley is, is also really good friends with Monique. So we all went out to dinner and we went to dinner in Potomac. And I was like, oh, my God, the houses are like castles here. I was like, this is the real thing. I was shocked. I had no clue. And to think I lived in D.C. for like six years and never knew about it. How was Monique? She seems like a good time. She is, <clears throat> you know, as sitting down with her, two things come to mind. One, I don't understand how anybody could dislike her. And then the second thing is, I can understand how someone who may not be as secure could dislike her does that make sense it makes total sense she's beautiful great mom adoring husband and she's like, nice like she and, was nice. And nice on top of it that's yeah like i i, I you kind of when i when you watch the show now i kind of look, i'm looking at it like i don't get the dislike from some of the other ladies when it comes to her i mean she does have the like style she has you know the husband the kids the potomac she lives in potomac you know but outside from that she's just a cool just a cool girl like and talking to her you almost get the sense like you've known her forever you know what i'm saying because she is the type of person like as soon as she sits down she she does talk a lot but i i am i love that like those are the types of people i'm attracted to because i feel like oh we're off and running. And then it's like, you're talking almost over top of each other because you're so excited to be talking to somebody who talks as much as you do. <laughs> so I'm like, I just literally, I fell in love. I did, I did. I felt like I had known her for ages. And the fact that she's also really, her and Riley had been friends for like about 10 years. Like they have oh, wow. a really deep, long relationship. And that connection there was just enough to let me know, okay, she's, she's gonna be cool. Yeah. I'm excited to see this season. And I mean, she's definitely like 
seems to be like one of the main people this season who after her fight with Candace at that vineyard where things got physical. So <laughs> that'll be interesting. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to see that play out. <laughs> Monique seems like she could throw down and, and so can Candace. And so I'm terrified, but also so excited. <laughs> I don't want anyone to get hurt, but I'm excited. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't want anyone to get hurt, but I want to see it. Yeah. So moving topic, Southern Charm star Catherine Dennis came back with her tail between her legs after all of the drama this past week where she called an African-American woman a monkey via Instagram DM. So she wrote, I've been quiet since all of this started and was told not to post anything and I can't stand it anymore. Y'all have to know this whole thing has been blown out of context. I'm freaking heartbroken and so depressed because of the way I'm being portrayed that is totally not true. I use that emoji all the time because it looks silly and awkward and that's my baseline. The account was anonymous. I didn't even know who I was messaging. And now I've been labeled all this crazy stuff and it's just not true and it's not fair. And I see now that I'm back on Instagram that some shit people are, some fucking people are thrilled to use the situation to come up with their own and use it for their own benefit. (sighs) She's just so ignorant where it's like, I can't believe you guys are doing this to me. Why are you doing this to me? It's like, can't you just acknowledge that you did something fucked up? You know, and there's a deeper issue. Well, that that's a deep issue already, but there's another issue at play here that I find that, you know, I, I just think that, it, I don't know if she has a, does she have a personal PR team in place? I don't think um, so. Because I think, that, yeah, any PR person with a brain, I think would tell her, don't, communicate with people that you don't know via social media because ultimately people it, some of these people having conversations in dms and stuff like that i literally i will not say a bad word about anything or anybody i do not respond anymore to negative comments i'll sometimes this is what i do sometimes i actually sometimes will write out the 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 nasty comment that i'm about to write back because sometimes i'm just so like you need to get it out how can people you know I just need to get it out and then I delete it and I move on because that person is just looking for, could be right. Could be just looking for a reaction from you in this situation. I think because she was coming in defense of someone else, it's kind of like, why even get put yourself in that situation in the first place? You don't really know who this other person is that you're speaking to that's number one. And then I think too, it's just also a level of sensitivity that you just have to have culturally. And I don't think she knows that at this point. And so I, I, I sort of have to blame whoever is managing her career because at this stage of the game to continue to find yourself in within these, because every, every year there's something new that she, that she finds herself in hot water for. And it's just like, Girl, at a certain point in time, now this. Well, that's kind of the hard part about watching her over the past few years, because, you know, we all came to her defense after the Thomas stuff and after everyone, it was clearly gaslighting her. And now it's like, what's true and what wasn't true? She's had all of these boyfriends who have alleged her, you know, erratic behavior and her drug use. You know, she had Thomas doing it. She had that other, you know, senator with all of this 
crazy shit going on, testifying against her in her custody battle. You know, she had that other boyfriend who was a musician who also was like, she was on drugs the whole time and was unstable and all of these things. And now this is happening. And it just kind of seems like you've got to take a step back and like look inward and see why all of these things are happening to you. And rather than blaming all the people who are being mean to you and now calling you names on the internet and calling you racist and calling you ignorant and whatnot, like you need to see where those comments are stemming from and then try to work through them. Like I just think the fame has kind of gotten to her and she thinks like she's above it all. And so it's like, these people are haters, they're haters, they're haters. It's like, they were lovers and then they've become haters because of your actions. So if you can't see <clears throat> what brought them from A to B, then they're, then you're only going to get more people who feel that way. And, and I think it's just self-sabotage. Totally. I mean, we see it happen with so many reality stars because they weren't trained for this, for the business. Especially her, who started this when she was 21 and didn't think she was, like, going to get knocked up by a man 30 years her senior and have this whole new life that she didn't sign up for. She just literally, I think, thought she was going to a pool party and was filming one day. She wasn't even, like, on the main cast. She just showed up and then hooked up with everybody and became the star. It's like, (laughs) yeah, I, I think she needs some work. (laughs) and i don't know what's gonna happen with southern charm because bravo hasn't said a word about this we have all the other guys on the show who pretty much have said every have pretty much said nothing we have cameron who's gone chelsea who's gone naomi who's gone you know they are all like fuck this franchise we don't need this we actually have shit going on outside of here and then there's the boys, you know, who Shep, like, has a new girlfriend who he's bragging about. So let's see how long this one lasts. And, you know, Craig isn't really doing anything. Austin's also not really doing anything. Whitney and Patricia, you know, that gets a little old kind of quickly. So it doesn't really, I don't really know where the show can go from yeah. here. Which is un- unfortunate because the show is, you know, really, really interesting. But as I've, I've been rewatching like season two and season three, just a little bit the last few days. And the drama is really depressing. Like we forget that like we're watching actual families and lives be ruined. Like it's, it's bigger than like, you know, Beverly Hills when they're fighting about, you know, someone showing up late because of the glam team. You know, it's, it's like, oh, Catherine's talking about like, her drug addiction and losing her children, <laughs> gaslighting, you know, ex-baby daddy, whatever, like all of these things. And it's like, oh my God, we're literally seeing lives being ruined. Of course, there's blessings in that because they have sh- beautiful children, but I'm trying to be nice. I'm like, they're blessings. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. But there's a lot of dark, <laughs> there's just a lot of darkness and a lot of underlying just tension in this show from the get-go but i also think that's that's the reason why it's probably hard to cast i knew that they had done the southern charm in new orleans but i don't think it's with southern charm is such a specific show with such specific types of drama that it's hard to take that to another city because you're you're it's you're going to be hard-pressed to find other people who are willing to expose that much of their trauma 
Most definitely. And I think with Southern Charm, it was disproportionate because Catherine, every single thing in Catherine's life is out for public consumption. Whereas Cameron is like, Mm -hmm. I have a husband, I have a kid, and they're not going to be on the show. I have a career outside of this who's not going to be really on the show. And the producers kind of allowed her. But I think Catherine, I mean, I think Cameron also created that boundary early on and was like, you're not going to ruin my marriage. I mean, who knows what's going on now, but you're not going to have access to those things because you can't use it as ammo for me. Whereas Catherine was like, no rules. I'm a reality star. Look at this. Look at all my money. Look at my rented Rolls Royce and my really big home that I can't afford. Like all of these things where it's like, oh my God, I just want to shake you and tell you like, this is not, this is not the direction you should be going in with your career on reality television. Yeah, I think she's just too caught up in it now, though. Like, it's it's kind of been the driving force for her since she's been on that show. And so now it's kind of like, unless she just gets off the train, like, this is, she can't create a boundary now. God. Well, she did just get a new face of lip, uh, face fillers. She's like, wanted to change my bone structure. I'm like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And now is the time you're like, let's change my bone. So I'm gonna and like even like all the nurses and doctors had like gloves and masks. So they probably were wearing them anyways. But I'm like, girl, come on, is this essential? Is this essential? Well, you know what it is. It's like, oh, we have all this downtime. Now would be the perfect time to do it. You know, I can <laughs> have, I can, I can take the amount of rest that I need to get my whole new face, and nobody will really know unless I say something. And at this point in time now, she's kind of like, you know, whatever attention I'm getting, it's it's me being in the press again. So, like, what else can I do? It's kind of that, you know, back in the day was, I guess, like the Lindsay Lohan syndrome. You know what I mean? And I feel like she kind of has a little bit of that. Totally. And I don't know. It just stinks because, like, kids are in the mix. And it's not just her and Thomas fighting and being messy. Like, there are little kids involved. And they're going to get to an age where all of this is readily available to them by just typing their mom's mm-hmm. name into Google. And they don't sign up for this. And that's another crappy part where, yeah. you know, they don't sign up to have their lives on television. They don't want this. And now like their whole childhood and conception, <laughs> like everything was on television and not in a good way. Like you have some babies who come into reality TV and it's like, oh my goodness, look at this beautiful baby, like candy, all these freaking kids. And you know, Monique and all these babies, like babies are so happy on television so many times, but their babies were just like, oh God. (laughs) And then they have to grow up hearing all of this. It'll be crazy. For real. Well, their father, Thomas Ravenel, just have to point out a really eloquent tweet. He tweeted out this past week in regards to Cam's husband potentially cheating on her, which Cameron told everybody wasn't true. He goes, I don't know if Cameron Eubanks' husband cheated or not, but who would blame him considering her hero in life that she'd kill to emulate was a lying gold-digging fame whore, Patricia Alchul. <laughs> lying gold-digging fame whore. That's really nice to call a woman breaching her 80s. He's the worst man in the world. They're the same person, him and Catherine. There's no ability to stop. Just shut your mouth and delete your fucking Twitter. I don't, you know, to be so old, (laughs) it's shocking to me that he still has this mentality. Do you know what I mean? He's bitter. Like, 
shouldn't you be heading into Tom Girardi territory at this point? <laughs> yeah, just sit at home, shut up, and delete your social media. Exactly. Like, no. Like, just, he should just go away for a little bit. I think just that, and I honestly think that for mental health reasons, I, I don't even think that Catherine should be on television. I don't think he should be on television. Now, of course, we all know that a hot mess makes for great TV. But really, in real life, they need to not be on television at all. But then we wouldn't have had all these great seasons of Southern Charm. Well, I know. That's like the annoying thing, where it's like, would they even have been picked up for a second season? Who the fuck cares about Whitney, like, pretending to date another model? Like, you are not dating her. How many times do we have to see this? Craig fucking sewing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Thomas also did just buy, he sold his plantation for a little shy of four million dollars and just bought a 1.8 million dollar home and I ended up taking like a virtual tour because I'm a loser and this home was gorgeous I will say I, I don't know I, I don't understand generational wealth in that way because I don't have it so I don't know it <laughs> but, <laughs> but the way he's just like willy-nilly buying new homes every five minutes i feel like he's buying a new mansion and this one is like 10 bedrooms full polo field all of these i'm like what he's unfazed he's like i don't give a fuck like regardless yeah like he's like i can rape whoever i can say whatever i can treat my baby mama like shit i can sell drugs i can do whatever i want and i'll get away with it and I'm living in a two million dollar mansion. Good old boys club. Privilege, you know, born into it, doesn't know anything but that, and will probably take that to the grave, honestly. I mean, most definitely. I it's it's really wild how he's had to face no real repercussions for his actions, other than not being on television, which I think probably hurts him more than like losing his, you know, position in the government for selling drugs and a lot of other things. And like being a deadbeat dad, he's like, I just wish I was still on television. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well to end the show we have just great news from elaine welteroth who was a judge on the most recent season of project runway and was the youngest editor-in-chief of team vogue history and the only person of color who's ever been the uh editor-in-chief of team vogue or vogue ever she got married this past weekend and she had a quarantine wedding which was really sweet and her and her husband are just the cutest couple I've ever seen. I haven't really watched Project Runway in a while because I don't really do the competition shows. It just doesn't really, I just, ain't nobody got time for that. So I've always followed her because I used to work at Condé Nast. And so of course, like I knew who she was, um, but she just had such a beautiful wedding and it was so special with all her friends and family there. Obviously like their normal wedding wasn't able to go on because you know, you can't have a lot of people um, congregating with one another especially in Brooklyn but she just had such a beautiful event with all of her friends and family there and they all were wearing masks and partying in the street she looked so stunning and I just want to I want that for me <laughs> <laughs> so the funny thing about it was I, I um, wasn't familiar with the story until you until you mentioned it you know in our pre-chat and I was like okay let me look this up just so I could be prepared. And I was thinking to myself, 
this is interesting, fascinating because I was supposed to be getting married on June 6th in Vegas, right? Well, congrats for being engaged and almost married. <laughs> Legit. So we ended up having to cancel the wedding because the chapel obviously ended up having to close because of quarantine. You know, um, me and my fiance, we had both gotten our suits custom made, have the suits here. I have not even opened the box yet because I can't bring myself to try on this suit because I have nowhere to go to do it. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, you know, and as I'm watching, you know, this play out and I'm like, you know, maybe it's possible. Maybe that's something that, you know, we can possibly do. I just kind of am concerned still a little bit about, you know, I know that the, the way they did it was kind of in an open space, but I don't know. It's kind of given me a little bit of hope as to like what is possible during this period of time. Yeah, I thought it was really just inspiring for people who are in your exact situation where you've spent all this time planning and, you know, you're, you have your heart set on something. But to be able to kind of like quickly pivot and be like, love is enough, like to kind of get us here. And we don't need the whole fanfare. We don't need the big party or whatever they were planning on doing. And to say like, we could scale back. We still have the people we love. We still have beautiful photos and also a story to tell their children and their family for the rest of their lives. Like what a weird time that this big moment in our lives happened during a global pandemic. Like it, 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 it was just really inspiring. And my brother and his fiance, their wedding was planned for August 1st, but they canceled it. And I know they're feeling a similar stress and pressure because they're like, well, what do we do? Like we did all, we did everything. And now, you know, the party's done and that weekend's going to come and go. And there's so much, you know, sadness around that because it's, you know, such an important day. And so just seeing this made me feel so good and made me just feel like, okay, good. Like, the world doesn't stop because of this fucked up pandemic. Like love still exists. (laughs) And I think that's kind of the way I want to look at it now. Like you can still do something beautiful and you can still have something beautiful in the midst of all this, because that type of thing does give people hope. Exactly. And I mean, she just looked so beautiful and all her friends are so cool. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Where in Brooklyn are you? Because I'm close. I'll find you. <laughs> Had I known, oh my God, I would have been like that bitch, like filming it. <laughs> oh my God. Well, Richie, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. So where can people find you, follow you, watch you, listen to you, pretty much everything you do on the internet, because I feel like you kind of check all the boxes. <laughs> Um, Well, first, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was awesome. Um, So everybody can, you know, follow me on Instagram at DJ Richie Sky, Twitter at DJ Richie Sky. I'm not as big on Twitter because I don't really tweet a lot. Um, But YouTube is really kind of where my hub of all things is. And that's just under DJ Richie Sky as well. So everything is the same. Yay. Well, thank you for coming on. Have a beautiful Sunday and have an amazing day off tomorrow. Oh, my God. I am so excited. I will be working tomorrow because, you know, Real Housewives of Atlanta, the finale is tonight. So I've got to get online tomorrow to just chat about it, you know. But otherwise, I will be enjoying myself. <laughs> I'm glad. Well, have a good one. And we will talk soon once it's all out. Thanks, Paul.